Hi, thanks for joining this week's podcast with Pastor James Jones of the Divergent Church. We hope you will be blessed by the message you are about to hear. If you would like some more information about the church, please feel free to reach out via email at divergentcog at aol.com or go over and check out our website, divergentcog.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you have a blessed day. We're going to read the whole chapter of 1 Samuel chapter 4 this morning. As we start this series out with the message entitled, Returning the Glory. Now, if you make a statement like that, returning the glory, that assumes that it has left. Church, it has left. And we're going to look at a situation where it has left this morning. We're going to look at a people who were suffering because of the glory leaving. And we're going to look at what led to that as we look into 1 Samuel this morning, chapter 4. Starting in verse 1, the word of the Lord says this. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped at Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle... Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men. That's going to be significant in a minute, that number. Who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? I want you to take note of this attitude here the elders of the, this wasn't people on the battlefield this was the elders the people who should have known the people who should have had an understanding who should have had a wisdom and a connection with God the elders of Israel said why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us that when it comes among us it may save us from the hand of our enemies again there's a little wording here When it comes, it may save us. There's a danger in the way they were treating the presence of God. Verse 4, So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Boy, it just gets worse, church. Hophni and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. They knew how to shout. Verse 6. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God has come into the camp. I want you to notice this. The enemy had a reverence for God. They didn't didn't really respect Him. They didn't really care about Him. They didn't know Him. They didn't want to follow Him. But they knew who He was. They had a fear for God. They were afraid for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. They respected who God is. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. 
conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. Watch this. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, What happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened, when he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel 40 years. Now verse 19. Now his daughter-in-law, Eli's daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, was with child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. There was war with the enemy. The Philistines, the Israelites, they were locked in combat. They were locked in war. And the enemy was winning, or so it seemed. They had a battle, and 4,000 were slain. 4,000 Israelites were slain in that battle. And after that point, we get to verse 3, where the elders, and, and, and I want you to pay attention, every single word in the Word of God is imperative, is important, has meaning. The elders said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? That's a good question but it wasn't asked with the proper intention. 
it was more of a complaint than a question. It was more of a, God, how could you let this happen? Other than, God, what have we done wrong? We've fallen out of your grace. We've fallen out of track. We've not in a place we should be. Learning from the battle of Ai, you see, they routed Jericho, but then when they went to Ai, they were defeated. Why? Because there was sin in the camp. And when they went to God, they repented of the sin. They straightened everything out, and then they defeated Ai. Well, here they are again, a situation. They go into battle, and they're defeated, and they come back, and instead of seeking God, why are you doing this, Lord? Why? And he say, how do you know that was the demeanor? Because of what happens next. There was a good question. It was a very good question. We should look into this. Why are we being defeated, Lord? Why have you done it? See, the enemy didn't defeat us. You did it. You allowed it. Why? But instead, they said, let's make ourselves feel better. Let's build morale. Can I tell you, correcting what is wrong does not always feel good at the time. It requires effort. It requires commitment. It requires being uncomfortable. It requires being honest and open about our very own sin, about our very own thing that has taken us out of God's plan or out of God's perfect will for our lives. God does not cast us away. So if we're in a place where it seems like we're being defeated, the correct question is, God, why is this happening? And then the correct thing to do is to wait for a response, to be honest, to be humble, to be willing to sacrifice, to be willing to repent, to be willing to make things right. It requires an effort. But they didn't want to be better. They wanted to feel better. And that's where we live today. That is where we live today. They didn't want to be better. They just want to feel better. So they sent for the ark. It may say, do you see how they are dealing with the presence, the glory of God? Get the ark. And it will come, and it will save us. What? You're talking about an object. You're talking about a... You're missing the whole point of it. You're going to church, but you're not chasing God. You're doing the religious thing, but you're forgetting about the power behind it. You're going after something that everybody else is going after because it's tradition, and it's ritual, and it's what we do, but you have lost the meaning behind of what you're doing. But if I do it, it'll make me feel good. See, I'll get in that place, and it'll bring back good old memories, and I'll think about what God has done, and I'll go into an altar. Maybe I'll cry some tears. I'll feel good for a while, but then I'll go back and do what I did before. That's not how you return to glory. That's not how you return to victory. But they sent for the ark. It may save us. They no longer understood who God was. So here comes the ark, carried by Hophni and Phinehas. Oh, boy. If you don't know about Hophni and Phinehas, these are the two sons of Eli, and you should read about these guys. These guys had affairs. Priests. These guys had affairs. They stole from the offering. They took the choice pizza meat for themselves. They, they, were, they were selfish. They were greedy. They were adulterers. They were supposed to be priests. And here they come carrying the ark of God. When the ark came, there was shouting in verse 5. 
Sometimes in the church, people love to shout. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that so long as we're pursuing the presence of God. But if we're just pursuing a feeling, make me feel better. See, that's what they were doing here. Make me feel better. I, I don't want to be better. I want to feel better right now. I want to feel like we have a chance. Even, you know, just, just bring this ark in and, you know, we're not going to honor God. We're not going to respect God. If the ark's here, we're going to win. Woo! All right, here comes the ark. We're just going to go out into battle. That's not how it works. The box did not save you. The box did not lead you. The box is something God has given you. That ark is something that God has placed. It's not God. The building where we come is a place God has drawn us. It's not the church. You are. You're the church. The thing that God has called us to do goes much farther than what is a structure or an edifice or a building or lights or sound. It goes so much deeper than that. So they brought the ark and they felt better. I want you to notice something. The enemy was afraid at this point. They knew of his fame. In the preceding verses, they knew what he did in Egypt. They knew the plagues. They knew how this, their God has come. What are we going to do? We have no choice. We can't defeat it. They had more respect for God than the people of God. In this day and age, does the enemy have more respect for God than the church does? I mean, we've been taught... Jesus is my friend. Yes, he's a friend of six, closer than a brother. Absolutely. Yes, he loves you. All those things are real, but he's still God. He doesn't take his sovereignty and lay it aside and say, yeah, I'm just one of the boys. Let's, let's laugh it up. He's still God to be revered, to be respected as God, and we have lost that in the church today. We have lost the respect for the glory of God. We have lost the reverence. We have lost the desire to be in his presence. We just want to feel better. But the enemy was afraid because the enemy respected God. You know, we fight a spiritual enemy today, church, that knows God very well. We had the privilege of going to a church growth conference back in Baltimore taught by Brian Cutshaw. He's a pastor out in St. Louis area. He was at the time. I think he's still in St. Louis. And he told us... a. He told us a little bit of history about where he, he started his church in St. Louis and his car was vandalized and the church was vandalized and the house was vandalized and they kept, these things kept happening to him. And months later he found out there was a church of Satan. This is an actual thing. There's a church of Satan. And it was in town, a couple miles away from where he was planting his church. And they didn't want him there. They were trying hard to push him out because they knew this was a spirit-filled, born-again. This is, this is people who chase after the Holy Spirit who chase after God, who don't just go to church on Sunday and do the traditional thing and amen and let's go home and not do it again until next Sunday. These were people who were chasing after God and they knew it and they wanted to scare them away. Well, eventually some of those members became members of his church and began to tell him this is what we were doing, this is why we were doing it. You realize that the church of Satan has uh, in their bylaws and in their instruction, one of the instructions in there, do not have a place of worship, meaning a church of Satan, within 10 miles of a spirit-filled church. Why? Because the enemy respects God. Because the enemy knows if the presence of God is there, there ain't a thing we can do. 
if the Holy Spirit is in that town, there's nothing we can do. He's going to overpower us. He's going to override us. We don't go near one of those spirits. Go, go near the churches that just, you know, they play church. They do all this stuff. Bring the ark in. It will save us. No, no, no. Don't go near one of those churches that are spirit-filled. Because when the Spirit of God comes, everything changes. Do you realize the enemy has more respect for the presence of God than some churches do? Yeah, this story is very relevant. This story that we're looking at this morning is very relevant. The enemy was afraid. The enemy trembled. The enemy knew what God had done. The enemy had more respect for God than the people of God did. There's a problem there. They just wanted the feeling. They didn't want the truth. Could preach on that all day right there. The church, mainline church in America, we just want the feeling. We don't want the truth. I put something up this past week. I saw something online. The persecuted church around the world, people are being martyred on average five to six Christians per hour. In the time we're here, 10 to 12 Christians will be killed because they're Christian. That's it. Now, to you and I, members of the house of God, members of the family of God, that should cause us to mourn, to be upset. This is our family. This is our brothers and sisters being tortured in, in, in egregious ways because of their faith. Yet here we are in our nation, and we want to argue over the color of a mermaid in a cartoon. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have problems in this nation. we got problems, believe me. I know we do. But you know what the enemy would love to do is get you fighting on all this little stuff so you miss the big stuff? If he can get you fighting on 30 or 40 different fronts, guess what? You're never going to love anybody because you're so busy fighting. I've seen it time and time in our society. Fight for this right. No, fight for this right. No, fight for this right. No, just fight. We don't even know what we're fighting for anymore. We're just fighting. We're just arguing. We're just bitter. I saw something online the other day. Somebody had something up about the perfect Alfredo sauce recipe. I made a mistake, church. Started reading the comments. People were fighting over cheese. Cheese! I, were, I mean, they were wanting to burn each other's house down over cheese. Come on. This is the society we live in. If you're not telling, the, the fields are ready for harvest. When people are that lost that they'll fight over cheese, my goodness, what will they do when the Spirit of God impacts them and shows them light and shows them liberty? We are in dark times, and when you are in a dark time and you take a light somewhere, boy, it changes fast. They just wanted to feel better. They didn't want the truth. So they go into a battle. Originally, 4,000 were killed. Now, when they come in after the ark is there, seven times that amount are killed. Over seven times, 30,000 died in that battle. And by the way, the ark was taken. Now, let me get one thing straight and make it perfectly clear. Nobody took God, okay? Nobody overpowered God. Nobody, they, they took the ark. But it wasn't like, oh, Lord, 
they took Jesus. No, no. They didn't take God. He didn't go anywhere. He wasn't willing. Matter of fact, if this week you go ahead and read ahead, chapter 5, chapter 6, and so on, and we're going to jump into a, a little bit of that next week, you find out that while God was in the land of the Philistines, they, they brought the ark in front of their god, Dagog. And when they went to sleep that night and woke up the next morning, guess what happened? Their stone statue was face down on the floor in front of that ark. And so they, oh, let's set it back up. Oh, set the statue back up. Hold on, hold on. Must have been the wind or something. Knocked over that big stone statue. And then the next morning, guess what? Their fake God is on the ground with both hands broken off in front of the ark. And then they say, well, we got to move the ark. We can't have this. This is our God right here. And then guess what happens? They start getting, they call it tumors, but church, let's just be real about it. They got hemorrhoids, all of them. Everybody got hemorrhoids. Then there was an infestation of rats. Then there was an, because the ark was, believe me, God can take care of himself. Nobody captured God. Uh, they couldn't get rid of God fast enough. They were like, get out of here, get this thing gone. So let me, let me make that very clear. While the ark was taken, nobody captured God. God said, okay, boys, let's go. It looks as though the enemy had infiltrated the people of God. You say, what do you mean? They took the ark? No, 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 I mean before that. The real enemy. Satan had infiltrated the people of God ahead of that. The priests, the sin, the lack of reverence. Something drastic had to be done. God had to do something to shake up his people. See, be grateful when God allows us to have a setback. Be grateful when God allows us to have a failure because sometimes he's got to shake things up and get our attention a little bit. Something had to be done. You got the priests, Hophni and Phinehas. We just talked about them. These guys were, were adulterers. They were having relationship with women who were coming to the temple to pray. They were stealing out of the offering. The priests! Oh, but we got pastors that do that today, don't we? You don't have to amen me. I know I'm right. And then there was sin. There was sin in the land. And they allowed sin and they accepted sin. They were okay with sin. Boy, that's a... Uh, Sounds familiar too. And there was a lack of reverence for the glory and the presence of God. Boy, I mean, this is hitting home this morning. So something drastic had to be done in those days. And I know what you're saying. This is a great truth. But what does it have to do with the quest for revival? Or for returning the glory? We are locked in a conflict with the enemy right now. And we have taken losses, much like the people of God. Here's the question. What has the church done? Have we inquired of God? Have we repented before God? I mean genuinely repented, not come to an altar and felt bad and got a case of the do-betters. I mean, I mean we, we really genuinely repented. We really genuinely changed. Have we sacrificed? Have we let go of things that we should not have in our life? The norm today is make me feel good. Entertain me. Tell me it's okay and Jesus loves me. Man, that sounds just like the situation we had in the story here, doesn't it? See, the Word of God is as relevant today as it ever has been. Hophni and Phinehas. <coughs> we have ministers today who want to be CEOs, 
who want to be rock stars. I'm not just guessing. I've seen it. I have been there. I was in Baltimore, and I preached at a church. And this past, I, I get armor bearing. That, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But when you got an entourage, I mean, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about six or seven people to walk around you to make sure the common folk don't touch the pastor. Seriously? I mean, who do you think you are? Because if your prayer life is that great, I want to touch the hem of your garment, okay? We got pastors that want to be CEOs. They show up one or two days a week to the office with the golf clubs in the back of the car. Well, fellas, I'm working hard. Got my message ready for Sunday. We go play golf. I, I'm not against. Uh, understand what I'm saying here. There are days I will take days off and relax. There are days I, I, I'm, I'm not a, But if you never fight, if you never do anything for God, or when you do something, it's all about you, that's the pastors we have. Not all of them, not 100% across the board, but enough of them that it's a dangerous epidemic. Enough of them that young people are raising up thinking, that's what ministry is. That is not what ministry is. It's not. Ministry is not about give me. Ministry is not about being on top. Ministry is not about being, quote, unquote, blessed by the world standards. Ministry is about serving. Ministry is about sacrifice. Ministry is about being spent because this is not my home. I'm going somewhere better. I'm going somewhere greater. And every sacrifice I make here is an investment there. So let me keep sacrificing as much as I possibly can. That's what a minister does. We've waged spiritual warfare at times with natural weapons. And we disregard the Holy Spirit in so doing. We have problems in our society. People hate each other because they're the wrong skin color or the wrong background or the wrong economic background. Or wrong. I mean, they just don't like each other for all kinds of stupid reasons. And we try and fight it. We're going to fight it with psychology. We're going to fight it with this. We're going to fight it with protest. We're going to fight it with anger. We're going to get angrier than they are, and then our anger will be better than their anger, and then they'll love us. No, that's not going to work. That just sounds stupid. But that's what happens when we begin to fight with natural weapons. Now, when we begin to fight, our weapons are not of this world, but they're made mighty through God. When we begin to fight in the Holy Spirit, we begin to pray. We begin to love. We begin to serve. When somebody hits you on the right cheek, you turn the left cheek also. When somebody steals your jacket, you stop and say, here, you want my shirt too? Oh, come on, pastor. You can't do that. That's weakness. No, that's Christianity. Christianity is not me going into a restaurant and demanding, I need the best seat because I'm a child of God. Man, if I ever hear somebody say that with me, I am going to slap you. Give me the right cheek and the left cheek. You get them, but no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't walk into some place and say, I am better than everybody here because I'm a child of the king. No, you walk in some place, I am the servant. Of, can I do anything for anybody in here? Well, and you know, and I'm not saying announcement. I'm saying you walk in and you look. Where can I serve? Who can I build up? Who can I encourage? What can I do? See, that's the glory of the church. That's the glory of what the church is and who the church was. Do you realize in the early church... And when you, we did that uh, apologetics class a year or so ago. Some of the letters from, from uh, Roman governors and Roman rulers. And they were talking about these crazy Christians. These people, they, they, they swear off of adultery and swear off of this and that. They're nuts. And they gather around chanting, you know, verses to this 
Jesus who was killed by Pontius Pilate. And they go around and they, they, they spend everything for others and they live in poverty. That was the glory of the church. People saw that and it changed their life. That was the glory of the church when they didn't have a place to go, but literally they just walked around being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. The church needs revival. But the only way we'll truly get to... And when I say revival, man, I know the things that come to your mind, and, and we all have the same images. You know, you get the shouting, you get the clapping. And, and you know, sometimes those things are good when they're done in order, when they're done for the glory of God, and not, I, I just want a case of the feel-goods. But when I'm responding to God, see, when the presence of God comes in, you don't control how you respond. You just react to the presence. And for some people, that might be just absolute joy, absolute boisterousness, and they get excited because that's who they are. And for others, it might be humbling where they fall to the floor on their face before God. There is no pre-programmed way to worship. In spirit and in truth, that's the way to worship. But how long has it been since the glory of God was released in the church? We had the privilege of listening to Dr. Hill a couple weeks ago at camp meeting, and he shared about how he was on the campus of, of Brownsville in Pensacola where the Brownsville revival happened. I know a lot of you probably heard about that. And over a million people came through that church over the course of those years from all around the world, from different countries, different states. And God legitimately healed and touched and delivered and did these great things for so many people. And he said he stood there uh, with one of the ministers at the church. And he told him, man, those days were amazing. And we're stu still doing great things in the community. But that outpouring was a temporary thing. He said it was, it, you know, it, was, it, was, it lasted for such a long time, but now looking back on it, it energized us to do what we do today. He said, we have 300 people that come here every Sunday now. He said, but every one of them chases after the glory of God. You see, when you get a place like that, it's kind of what happened in the upper room. 500 people witnessed Jesus go. 500 witnessed the ascension. And 500 got the call, go and wait for the promise. And when the day of Pentecost came, 120 people were there. See, when something big is happening, it draws attention. And a lot of people come in, and that's what God will do. He'll draw people to himself. And then people decide, am I going to chase after this, or did I just want to, well, the feeling's gone. Let me go see if this church down the street has a feeling. Let me go see if I can find a feeling here. But out of those people, 300 people stayed, and they're still chasing after God. Not a feeling, but God. But then something happened. That night in camp meeting. And there's no way he had have known. I, I've only met the guy twice in my life. He has no idea who I am. But we're sitting back there, and I knew very clearly the vision that God had given us. And we were talking, my, my wife and I talked about back in Baltimore. And he said that there was a glory that was going to be outpoured. And he said, I, I just want to confirm vision. And when he said that, I'm, just something registers in your spirit when God's saying something to you. And he talked about how windows of heaven were going to open in various places, not one, but there was going to be outpouring in many, many places for the glory of God. Because guess what? Divergent is not the only local body that's looking for revival like this. We're not the only remnant. We're not the only ones that are saying, God, return the glory. 
You see, the Holy Spirit wants to invade the church once again because the Holy Spirit has been pushed to the side. We have intellectual pastors who say, we are so intellectual now, we don't need the power of the Holy Spirit. My goodness, I can't believe you could say something like that. We have some people who say, you know, they've gotten so good with the lights and the fog and everything else, we can stir up emotion, we don't need the Holy Spirit. You weren't called to stir up emotion. You were called to change lives. But somewhere along the line, the church has lost its way. So something drastic has happened. And the presence has been taken, much like with Brownsville, much like with other places. The great event is over. Now what's happening? I want to wrap it up with this. The church is in danger of losing its identity in this day and age because we lost our identity. I mean, there's so many different reinventing the church and reinventing this and that. Just get back to what we were called to be. Samuel's daughter-in-law. She gave birth to a boy. And she named him Ichabod. And Ichabod means the glory has departed. For the glory of God had departed from the people of God. You know why she did that? I believe that she knew that there must be a reminder for ages to come, for generations to come, of what was lost. Of what once was. You see, there was this time when the church had power, had authority, where people were healed, where people were delivered, where people were set free, where God did miracles. There was this glory in the church. And at this time, there was a glory in Israel. God had delivered them out of Egypt. God had brought them through Jericho. God had brought them through all of these battles. God had given them the land. But they got comfortable. They got complacent. Sin entered in. They weren't on guard against the enemy. She named him Ichabod. Because as he grew older, people needed to remember there was a glory here, but it has departed. There needed to be a reminder of what could be once again. You see, this series is not about feeling better. It's about getting better. The series is not about just a quest for revival where we get a great speaker in and we feel good for about five days or something and there's an afterglow. This series is about getting closer and closer to the presence of God to where He pours out His Spirit. And there's not one minister, but there is a house full of ministers who take the glory of God everywhere they go. That when you're walking down the street, the lame people start getting up. That when you're going into a grocery store or to a shopping mall, somebody just comes over to you in tears because the Spirit of God has touched them because the Spirit of God is all over you. That's what's coming. That's what this world needs. That's what this area needs. The area needs the church. And that's what this series is about. The quest for revival 
the quest for resurrecting the church. And it all starts with returning the glory. Let's pray.